Hi, good morning, Church. We'll begin with a question uh, this morning. What is the furthest distance in the world? According to the Guinness World Records, the farthest distance ever travelled by humans is 400,171 kilometres away from the Earth. Sorry, my numbers cannot, uh, if you know me long enough. I need to write down and read. Yeah. Yeah. So this was reached by the crew of Apollo 13 in April 1970. Accidentally, if you know the story. But just last November, the Orion broke that record, travelling... 432,210 kilometers. Again, what is the furthest distance in the world? According to Tagore, a poet and winner of the 1913 Nobel Prize in Literature, the furthest distance in the world is not between life and death, but when I stand in front of you, yet you don't know I love you. Too late for Valentine's Day, but yeah, there was this one. Curiously, Hong Kong novelist uh, Amy Chung has a poem in the Chinese language which is identical to this one. Oh, sorry. Hmm? Ah. Uh, there must be some sort of mixed up somewhere, but most people just assume Amy Chung plagiarized. She laments, everyone thinks I copied Tagore. Only my publisher and I know that I did not copy him. This is indeed the furthest distance in the world. One last time. What is the furthest distance in the world? I, you saw already, right? In an online forum, someone answered yesterday. Maybe because all his troubles... Uh, you know the song singing in your head? Yes. Distance. The amount of space between two points can be physical, mental or temporal. We're reflecting on distance today because our passage from Exodus reminds us of the distance between God and humankind. As we reflect on the encounter between God and Moses, I hope to help us see how impossible this encounter was and how impossibly precious the scriptures are. The message for us today is, remember the transcendence of God and his word. The encounter took place on the day the Lord made his covenant with Israel. All that is said and done on that day is recorded for us in Exodus chapters 20 to 24. But very briefly, on that day, the Lord gathered the Israelites at the foot of the mountain for the covenant-making ceremony. The Lord spoke to them the Ten Commandments and the law. The Israelites agreed to them and promised to obey by sacrificing burnt offerings and peace offerings. Should they betray the Lord, they will end up like the sacrifices, cut up and burned in the fire. Then the covenant was sealed with the blood of the sacrifices, and the ceremony concludes with a fellowship meal. Moses and the leaders of Israel went up the mountain and ate and drank in the presence of the Lord. This was a solemn and monumental day in the history of salvation. Our passage picks up after this fellowship meal. Now, either everyone was preparing to go down or they were already back at camp when the Lord called to Moses again, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. Come up. God is above while Moses is below. The word mountain alone conveys the great physical distance between God and Moses, even if we don't know the height of Mount Sinai. But to put things into perspective, 
Mount Sinai is 2,285 meters above sea level. This elevation is equivalent to an HDB block with 815 floors. Imagine waiting for the lift in this building. This great distance is reinforced with the repetition of the phrase, Moses went up. Verse 13, so Moses rose with assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. Verse 15, then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. Uh, at this point, Moses has ascended to the level of the clouds. That's really high up, but still not there yet. Because verse 18 says, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. He had to climb further up. He was in the clouds, but he has to climb further up. All this going up, up and upwards on the mountain tells us that the physical distance between God and Moses was very, very, very great. The visible elevation of Mount Sinai is ultimately only symbolic of the actual distance between God and humans. The actual distance between humans and God is far greater, even insurmountable. And this insurmountable distance is not only physical, but mental and temporal. Let's talk about the physical first. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God lived with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God was in close proximity with the first humans, like next door neighbors, meeting and speaking to each other on a daily basis. However, Adam and Eve did not believe God and they disobeyed him. Therefore, God drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the, tree, to guard the way to the tree of life. Meaning God put in place a very tight security system. Any attempt to break in would end up in death. There is no way to get near him. But the situation is more impossible than impenetrable security. I mean, if we can't go in, we can still hang around the garden, right? Try to catch a glimpse of him uh, every now and then, you know, like a jilted boyfriend uh, stalking his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Or we can fly a balloon over. Just don't buy me in China. But our problem is the Garden of Eden cannot even be found. God has vanished from the face of the earth. Jesus confirms this, saying, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And also, where I am going, you cannot come. That is to say, God is beyond this world. He is in an other world. He resides in a different universe within the multiverse, so to speak. And you and I have no way of contacting him. I mean, do you possess magic to open portals that you can uh, travel between worlds? Sorry, wrong hand. Is it this one? Okay. Can you summon a bridge to cross over to wherever, wherever he is? God is beyond human reach. Because of this insurmountable physical distance between humans and God, the encounter between Moses and God on Mount Sinai was a gracious miracle. But we must not get ahead of ourselves. The meeting between God and Moses was made even more impossible because of the mental distance between humans and God. After Adam and Eve went in exile, they and their immediate descendants were still familiar with God. In Genesis 4, it is written, 
To Seth also, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. If you remember, Seth is Adam's son. So from this verse, we know that the children and grandchildren of Adam and Eve knew the Lord, and they worshipped him. However, by the time of Moses and the Israelites, humans have totally forgotten about the Lord. In Exodus 3.13, we hear Moses asking for God's name when they first met at the burning bush. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Ah? What shall I say to them? Moses doesn't know who he's talking to. And Israel has forgotten who their fathers worshipped. It is easier to call out a name that you have forgotten than to remember someone you've never met. How do you get to know somebody you don't remember? How to arrange to meet? It's impossible. Finally, we observe from our passage that there is a temporal distance between humans and God. The Lord told Moses to come up to the mountain and wait there. Then Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called out to Moses uh, from out the cloud. So Moses waited for almost a week before the Lord spoke to him. For that matter, Israel also had to wait a couple of days before they could meet God at the covenant ceremony. Exodus 19 records, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Israel waited two days and two nights before the Lord spoke to them. From these two accounts, we can see that there is a waiting period. Now, this is different from when we have to book an appointment in advance to meet somebody important or when ChatGPT is too busy to talk to us because at capacity. I mean, it's not because God has limited time and bandwidth. Rather, the fault is with us. Just look at the reason why Israel had to wait for two days. They were told to consecrate themselves and wash their garments. In other words, time was given so that they may prepare themselves to come before the Lord. They must make their outward bodies more presentable by cleansing their bodies and wearing clean clothes. They must make their inner spirits more acceptable by putting aside the distractions of life and focusing on God. If Israel did not prepare themselves in this way, the judgment of the Lord will suddenly come upon them and they will die in their sin. For the Lord says, Men shall not see me and live. Similarly, Moses had to be consecrated before he could draw near, draw near to the Lord. Notice that he delegated his duties to others so that he would not be distracted by his concerns for his people. Then he went up and waited single-mindedly for the Lord. So really, the temporal distance between humans and God is a reflection of the moral distance between us. Humans cannot stand before the Lord because God hates the sin in us. Because of sin, we are detestable to him. The fact that Moses and Israel may meet with the Lord is God making a gracious exception. 
you may ask. Since human sin and sinfulness created the distance between humans and God, why don't we just deal with that? Yeah, sure, we can deal with it. Yeah. But remember, the wages of sin is death. The only way to get rid of sin is for us to die. And so we are trapped in a conundrum. If we die, we cannot return to God because we're dead. If we do not die, we cannot return to God and we will eventually die. Either way, we're doomed. Humans are unable to deal with sin. Therefore, if you ask me, what is the furthest distance in the world? It is the separation between humans and God. God is unreachable by human means. The word of God is unobtainable by human effort. And without God and his words of eternal life, we are all doomed to die. One of my prayer partners and I met up after the Chinese New Year holidays um, over dinner, which was a hodgepodge of uh, leftovers from CNY. We were talking and talking uh, when she suddenly confessed that her quiet time is in shambles. Uh, all the traveling and celebrations messed up her routine. She's Malaysian, you know, so we have to go back. Uh, so in her own words, I don't know where in the world I threw God. She said it in Chinese. So I replied, funny you should say that. Me too. It wasn't because the Bible was inaccessible uh, to us. You know, We have multiple copies of the Bible at home, her Malaysian home, Singapore home, all have Bibles, and the Word is very near in our mobile phones. I just couldn't find the time to read the Word. There were too many distractions. It's like we let our guards down and the dam broke, and then we're now struggling to rebuild the walls of self-control. If you're like us, a wonderful opportunity to reset your routine is coming up. This Wednesday marks the beginning of the season of Lent. Lent is a great time for self-examination, repentance, and studying the Word in preparation for Easter. Traditionally, people will fast and pray, but we can also give up an activity which uh, takes our time away from God. For example, uh, that mobile phone game you spend 20 minutes on every morning. The idea is giving up a time-consuming activity and use that time to wait upon the Lord. So I encourage you to do that, and uh, remember to come for Ash Wednesday service at 8 p.m. We were saying, humans cannot hope to reach God nor hear from Him. But the good news is, our Lord overcame the furthest distance in the world. The proof is in the Scriptures, and the Scriptures is the proof. The book of Exodus, for example, testifies to us that God, who was hidden from humans, chose to reveal himself by descending into our world and speaking to us. God, who was forgotten by us, came down to reintroduce himself. And he wrote the scriptures with his own hand and presented them to us. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. Now, what are the tablets of stone, if not a reminder of the existence of God and of the covenant he made with his people? What is the law, if not a description of human sin, of God's righteousness and of divine judgment? What is the commandment, if not the knowledge of the forgiveness of sins, the promise of salvation 
and the way of righteous living. Today, we have all these benefits of God more fully confirmed to us in the New Testament. We did not know these things. We could not have asked for these things. And we definitely could not have invented them ourselves. We possess them now only because God gave them to us. But how on earth did God overcome the distance between us? There is a sentence in our Anglican Holy Communion liturgy which summarizes it. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. When we were still far off, God met us in his Son. God overcame the insurmountable distance between humans and God by coming down in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus bridged the physical gap by becoming human and dwelling among us. Jesus bridged the mental gap by testifying to the Father. And Jesus bridged the moral gap by paying the price upon the cross. And he solved the conundrum of death. God solved the conundrum of death by raising Jesus from the dead. The incarnation, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ reached back in time to save the Israel and extends forward to save the church. The theologian Miller Arison remarks, a gap that cannot be bridged from the human side may not be quite such an insuperable difficulty from the divine side. This is part of the greatness, the magnificence of God. Our passage today reminds us of how impossible it was for us to see God and as a result, how impossibly precious the scriptures are. I thought that this was quite a boring topic to preach on and a surefire way to make the congregation go to sleep. Are you still awake? Thanks. I believe we need this reminder because we so often take God and the scriptures for granted. How then shall we respond to this reminder? May I suggest two things. First and foremost, recover our reverence for God. Modern day churches, in our attempt to make our worship services seeker-friendly, run the risk of downplaying the greatness of our Lord. When we choose songs that focus on human emotions, when we preach the Bible as solutions to human problems, and when the service is made convenient and tolerable even online, we serve men rather than the glory of God. No doubt these choices are helpful for evangelism, but they are not always helpful for discipleship. Regular exposure to seeker-friendly services may corrode the Christian's understanding of God's transcendence if there is no check and balance. We can grow to become over-familiar with God, reducing him to an indulging parent, a faithful friend, or a spiritual concierge at our beck and call. Since we're reminded today of the distance between God and us, let us appreciate his otherworldliness, his dimensional beyondness, his majestic glory. And then let us respond to him with reverence by returning to a few simple things. First, come to church on time. Come and wait for the Lord. Don't make him wait for you. 
feel a bit paisay. This is sermon application, uh, by the way, because so basic, huh? Yeah. But uh, I wouldn't have to save this if we are, you know, punctual for service. Yeah, Saturday service is like this. Sunday service is like this. Yeah. Okay. Don't want to nag, huh? but it's my responsibility to remind you how to behave towards our God. In the past, uh, Moses and Israel had to come a few days earlier. I'm only asking you to come on time. Oh, cannot. Thank you. Uh. Right. Next. Yeah, come, come on Friday night, camp. <laughs> Next, consecrate yourself for the service. I don't think we have a problem putting away distractions during service. By and large, you all don't look at your mobile devices, don't talk to each other, you know. But I think the problem we have is putting away distractions in life so that we can come to church for service. The staff were, were talking about this uh, during the staff meeting uh, last week. And we're like, our members are taking turns to come to church, is it? Is there a roster, you know? <laughs> yeah. Saturday service is like this, Sunday service is like this. Huh? Okay, again, Moses is our example. Remember, he put aside his work and left his friends and family behind to go up and wait for the Lord. Let us imitate him. And during the appropriate parts of the liturgy, get down on your knees if you are able. Believe it or not, our outward posture reinforces our inward attitude. A humble posture builds personal reverence for God and also edifies those who are around us. Now, we don't expect seekers to behave in this way, but that doesn't mean that we don't do it ourselves. Let's get this clear. We're trying to convert them to the reverent worship of our God. We don't deconvert ourselves to disrespect the Lord, okay? Yeah. So, first thing, recover our reverence for God. Second thing, cherish the Scriptures. When I was a young believer, I often lament that I cannot see God, cannot hear God, Ah, uh, yeah, he loves me, but you know, when I need a hug, he's not there. It's strange we can miss him when we've actually never met him. Anyway, so I was complaining to him about this again one day when I realized that I have the Bible with me. I don't mean that I have a copy of the Bible with me. I mean I have the Bible. Isn't this a tangible thing? Isn't this a physical thing? I can see God in it, I can hear God from it. The stories recorded, the histories he made, the prophecies are his plans. His thoughts are revealed in wisdom and his heart for us exposed in the Gospels. Of course, the Bible cannot compare to his physical presence, but until we see him face to face, we do have something we can hold on to. Something that belongs to him is here with us. So cherish it, read it, memorize it, talk about it, obey it. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are above and we are below. How is it that you have come to us and we know you? You have spoken to us and we live. And even now, you hear us when we pray. Truly, you are magnificent in your transcendence and tender in your imminence. Just as the Father descended upon the mountain and spoke to Israel, and just as the Son descended into the world and spoke to his disciples, come now as the Holy Spirit and descend into our hearts. Speak to your church that we may learn to revere you and cherish your word. Let your law help us against sin, 
Let your commandment comfort us in our troubles. Let our soul live and praise you, for we are your people and you are our God. We ask and pray for these benefits in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.